Konnichiwa, Amina-san. Welcome to a special Weebs of the Corn interview series. I wanted to say mini-series, but I honestly have no idea how many people are going to actually want to do this with me. It's entirely based on how much audience interaction I can get. So this is something I personally decided to do because I want to talk to the various Weeb friends I've made, mostly thanks to the Last Stand Media Discord. Uh, my guest today is the one and only Yoko Taro's number one fan himself, Edwin Castillo. Edwin, thank you for joining me today. How are you? You are welcome, and I'm sad that I'm not hiding inside Yoko Taro's closet with him right now. I mean, he's probably at the bar, I'm guessing, but I mean, he could be at his closet. Who knows with him? Look, I just keep trying to take down notes on whatever his ideas are for near reincarnation so I can just stop playing a mobile game. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll we'll get to that because well, I, I'm sure that's why I mentioned Yoko Taro to begin with, because I have a feeling for one of the topics I have prepared, he will be one of the major talking points here. But but yeah, Lovely. mostly I just want to kind of get a feel for, I guess, let's start with how do you, how did you grow up uh, in your area as far as your school family? I don't know how old you are exactly, but what was weeb culture like? back in your time because i know we'll get into this probably later too you don't really consider yourself a weeb right if i considered myself a weeb i'd be dead <laughs> that's putting it bluntly so e either by my hand or someone else yes that's kind of why i wanted you on here because as you see i've introduced this as as my weeb friends but i'm like you know edwin yeah he doesn't he doesn't think of himself as a weeb but when it comes to the gaming taste he definitely he dabbles in that category definitely not as much in the anime manga area but but the yes anyway. is watching anime absolutely not playing anime yes i've seen that meme many times in the discord as you shared that so but yeah you want to talk a little bit about how so how are you how appalled were you seeing how weeb culture has changed over the time since you were younger so Let's go ahead and at least just go into my relationship with anime because pretty much, well, okay, let's start from square one. Of course, I am 25 and anyone around my age will remember either Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, Toonami, Cartoon Network, the works. Now, of course, I was a dumb kid that didn't realize I can like more than one thing. And even as a small kid, I could just somehow tell that Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon were in the same realm. By the way, anyone who's insulted by that, you're welcome. I will happily <laughs> insult Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon because I'm not going to watch Dragon Ball Z. That's what I'm talking about. I am a dumb kid that didn't realize I could like more than one thing. So I chose Pokemon over Dragon Ball Z and went, bro, Dragon Ball Z sucks. I got Pokemon. I got Pikachu over here. How are you going to try and tell me that this dude's going to be yelling for episodes? I got to see if Charizard is actually going to listen now that he's got the badges. Is Ash going to get the badges? This is what I'm really invested in. And of course, I regret all that time because it's a fucking Pokemon anime. I don't think I need to say anything else beyond saying I regret that time. From there, I don't think there are... To, oh, Yu-Gi-Oh. How can I forget Yu-Gi-Oh? Just a gigantic advertisement to get children to buy cards. Uh, basically, the microtransactions of any kid from the late 90s. Yes. Um, as you can tell, I am. these are fond memories. <laughs> <laughs> 
those are the animes that I can think of as a child. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! The only good thing that it gave me in my life was Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged Series on YouTube uh, by Little Karibo, which, by the way, I know that there's at least one or two people who are like, oh my god, I forgot that exists. Which, by the way, if that is you, it's still going. I still can't believe that this YouTube series from like the mid-2000s is still going on. Little Karibo is still out there. So now, is he using is he using different Yu-Gi-Oh series? Because I know Yu-Gi-Oh like has so many different series. That's probably why it's still going. So I have no idea. I haven't checked in in a while. I just know that occasionally the YouTube algorithm will remember that I watched a whole <laughs> bunch of a bridge series in like the early 2010s. And then the algorithm's just like, you're in the mood for nostalgia, aren't you? Here you go. Do you want to watch Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, a bridge series by Adam West Slapdog? And I'm like, no, I don't. But thank you for reminding me of that. Nice. So I want to say those are the three that I can remember as a kid. Now, here's the revelatory thing that if anyone actually knows me, knows of me at this point but didn't know me back then in middle school i could definitely declare myself a weeb absolutely the thumbnail to the most recent episode that i did for my podcast uh, passive pixels was a yes. picture of me in 2007 of just like me like half blinking and wearing a naruto headband around my neck so that's the Oof. direction we're gonna go in naruto was the thing that i was like whoa Dude, they're fighting. What? There's a little bit of blood. Mm -hmm. There's a character who's wearing a see-through shirt and a jacket that stays over her nipples at all times. Impossibly <laughs> so. What is this? What's so this isn't Fairly Odd Parents. What is this? Which, by the way, uh, with hindsight, Fairly Odd Parents is better than Naruto. Fight me. So, Naruto was the thing that whole bunch of manga for read the anime. Once I realized that filler was a thing, I went more into the manga and jumped into the anime. Naruto was my gateway in. I tried watching Bleach. I tried reading Bleach. There's a whole bunch of different just random manga that I tried. It was middle school too. And of course, in middle school, I didn't really have that much work to do because I'm just good at school. So I had a lot of downtime. And I remember going to the library and I would go, wait a minute, there are books with pictures that I can read that I won't be looked down upon for? Absolutely. Why am I not going to do this? So just a whole bunch of random manga. And eventually with Naruto, I remember that there was a certain point that I was thinking, wow, I'm so in Jiraiya. He just died. Wow. Yeah. This is incredible. Madara, he's out here somewhere. Wow, I don't even know if Toby's lying or not. Let's just assume he's telling the truth. Dude, we are headed to the end. And if I recall correctly, that was somewhere around the late 300s chapters. And Naruto didn't end until like seven or 800 chapters. What the fuck? It's called The Great Ninja War, which was a tra or travesty. They should have ended it after... Where dry is that arc where he died, they should have ended it after that arc and it would have been a lot better off. But that's just my opinion. Listen, I am of the mind that because half of it was a waste, throw the entire thing away <laughs> at this point. Even if I can think of myself at that point enjoying it, I think. Okay, so here's the thing that I realized that 
in my head, it might be a little bit of a hypocrisy. If Naruto, half of it was a waste and I advocate to throw it away, turning that back on me, Game of Thrones, I would still keep the first four seasons even if I have to ignore the second half. And my argument out of that is that the first four seasons of Game of Thrones are still some of the best TV to have been ever put out on the waves. And Naruto isn't good. It's fine. Even though the beginning is pretty good, it's still not that good. Because I I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think in the first episode of Weebs of the Corn, I talked about it a little bit, but Naruto is kind of what got me into anime too, for similar reasons as you. But yeah, then I ended up by the end, it's like as I watched more and more anime, I'm like, you know, Naruto's not very good. And out of obligation, I stuck with it and watched it to the end, painfully, I might add. Same. But, and then at the end, I'm just like, okay, now we got Boruto. Why? I'm out. (laughs) I still think that that is the funniest shit that every single character in Naruto just had a kid that looks exactly like them. (laughs) That their partner, fuck the partner. Apparently, they look like nothing like them. Apparently, they just cloned each other. Like, I'm pretty sure that if you told me that somewhere in Naruto lore, Jesus Christ, I can't think of anything more horrifying than the statement of Naruto lore, that maybe ninjas Mm -hmm. literally just sprout themselves off. Like, they just need extra help from another person to pull off a fucking ninjutsu to clone themselves instead of having children i told when i told my friends about boruto they thought it was a fanfic they like that is not a real name that is a fanfic character because there is no way his son is going to be called boruto it's like boruto are you serious and i'm like sadly yes (laughs) oh my god so Naruto, at some point, I, like you, just realized I just had to see this to the end. I remember just, I had a tab bookmarked in my Chrome, and I would just check there weekly, and I would just read the chapter, I'm like, is it done yet? Is this the week that it's over? (laughs) And it just kept going. And I can't tell you the amount of just endorphins that hit my head, that freedom, that was felt when I finally got to delete it when it was done. And I remember when I think they gave the announcement that it was going to be over. And then I think at the same time they announced Boruto, I was like, <laughs> ha, Kishimoto, you can fuck right off. You can fuck right off, okay? I am done. I am done. Congrats. You've burned almost an entire genre for me. And at this point, I look. Straw Hat, if you want, we can go into that where I consider anime both a medium and a genre. If you're asking me truthfully, but I will consider it a genre most of the time because it's meaner. Well, yeah, because mostly, especially here in the West, most of the anime that come over here or especially get popular are the shonen, you would yeah. say, which is more for the the young boys, but... Uh, I, I was going to comment, too, because you mentioned about the manga. Imagine being the anime watcher, which is what I was, which is a hundred oh times worse than the manga because they have filler on top of that, which I ended up skipping, of course, near the end. But still, they draw stuff out way more than the manga. So think about the pain you felt reading the manga and multiply that times 10 for the anime because, <laughs> wow, it was bad. The funny thing is that 
Yeah, what I remember specifically about all that is that back in the day when Kotaku was actually worth reading, I remember that they had released an article saying, how to watch Naruto. And they're like, yeah, you watch like three episodes here, you skip 20 here, you watch 50 episodes here, you watch 12 episodes here, you just completely ignore the rest of the 200 episodes, and then you move on to Shippuden. You watch Shippuden for like two minutes, and then you can skip about 10 episodes. Like, what are you talking about? How are you telling me that this 800 episode show, which, by the way, honestly, I don't think most shows should go past 10 seasons. Like, if you're getting to 10 seasons, it's time. So the fact that this 800 episode show, they're like, yeah, you only really need to watch like 60 of them. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) This is literally this is the very definition of milking out something. And it infuriates me mostly that anime always seems to stop once the milking is done instead of once the story itself is done. Yep, classic thing of Death Note and even Dragon Ball to an extent because I'm pretty sure Toriyama wanted to stop after the Frieza arc. And I don't know if he decided not to or they wanted him to, but I know definitely with Death Note, They both wanted to stop after the best part of the series, which I won't spoil, but the Shonen Jump made them continue, and it definitely showed because it hurt the series going forward. Death Note is an anime that I have watched, and I remember watching, like, let's... Okay, so the way that I break down Death Note is that the first quarter is great. The Mm -hmm. second quarter, the business arc, I want to delete netflix not the app off of myself not the account that i have i mean i want to go to a netflix server disconnect it and drill it like drill it through like if i just got done uh, hacking the pentagon that's how i feel about the business arc the moment that light gets back his memory wow that's great and then the epilogue stuff i'm just like how did you think this was a good idea how did you think that you can just pick right back up off when the story is already done and you just hand us the same characters except worse and m and n are just i i think about them and i keep thinking of like whenever you have a character who's very popular and then you're like give them a kid like of course <laughs> it's their kid you care now and like no i don't i have to care about them as a person i don't give a shit whose kid they are i don't care their relationship you need to make me care about them as a person because this isn't like real life where like if i know someone and they have a kid oh yeah that's your kid i like you enough i like your kid then but it's your it they're fake characters you can't just say they have a kid and that's enough for me to make me care make me care about the character make it yep and you could just do like my one friend who actually stopped after the the best part of the series and refused to watch anymore in his mind he's like this is the end of the series it's a 10 i'm good i don't need to watch anymore there the rest doesn't exist i'm pretending that it this is the way i'm like well I didn't do that, but all all power to you, man. I mean, it does make the series better, so. For me, the business arc is something that I could just delete. We can just delete that, figure out how to rewrite the story. I don't know. I'm not brilliant enough for that. What I will say is that the epilogue is a cool enough idea. Imagine instead of M&N, 
the rest of Light's team started to suspect that he was Kira. Yeah. There you go. Done. Yep. You have all these characters that have been established this entire time, and the fact that they start actually suspecting Light. Congrats. You all have characters and motivations that are completely understandable and have been previously established. So at that point, you're given characters that you can care about. And whenever they start doing things, you're actually invested. Don't give us characters at the last quarter of the show and go, yeah, now you just care about these. Don't you want to see them survive? I'm like, I don't care. You can you can tell me that light right now is about to shoot them in the face, and because I know light more, and you're going to tell me he's in the wrong? I'm sorry. I like him. You can yeah. tell me that he's out there skinning babies. I don't know those babies. I know light. I was rooting for light the whole time, too, so they could have even did more with Misa if they wanted to, because she kind of gets dropped pretty hard near the second half of the series, so... God, I just I forgot know. that Misa was even a character. Like, Misa literally is just there to be his pawn. And yep. that was everything she needed to do. Yep. Pretty, yeah, because he gets... A, I don't even remember the name of the other girl. The He was, like, his classmate. I don't know. It's been so long since I watched Death Note, but... I don't remember. That's the thing. I just mostly remember my feelings about Death Note and the opinions that I had. Like, that epilogue is just something that I just have thought... Even the moment it started, as soon as they gave me new characters, I was like, you have an entire team of cops and you introduce two more cops. Why? Yeah, and they were all worse than L. Like, Nier is, or I think yeah, his name was Nier. It was a knockoff L for the most part. And I don't know what M, I don't even remember what his name was, but he was pretty much a, the wild version of him. I don't Just, know. This is the problem. Death Note is what made me realize that anime just isn't there. Because I acknowledge there is good stuff in Death Note. But until anime can learn that if you just have a story and you just tell that and you stick to that and you don't need to continuously milk it out, then you can actually make something good that is actual art instead of something that is a commercial product that you're trying to milk out. And... TV, to me, has gotten to that point where, for my example that I had used previously, is The Leftovers. The Leftovers was not getting anyone to watch it, but HBO let them end the show with an extra season. Because I think the second season, so in total, the show has three seasons. First season had some viewers. Second season had a huge drop-off, and they told them, hey, we're probably not going to continue this. You got one more season to wrap it up. And I swear... I have no way to prove it, but I'm absolutely sure that The Leftovers is bigger now than during the time that it had aired. And that's because they were able to end it and have a tight, cohesive story across three seasons that you can always revisit. No one is ever going to rewatch Game of Thrones again. Well, I'm exaggerating, not no one, but you understand the, <laughs> yeah. the point that no one is going to rewatch Game of Thrones because they just know that the ending was bad. If you could have just condensed it or actually, no, well, Game of Thrones is the wrong example because you could have gone longer to make it a better show. But there, ooh, I know a good example, but it's a comedy. I'll still go there anyways. How I Met Your Mother, had you stopped that show after four or five seasons, it would have been a tight four or five seasons of just solid comedy with an actual premise that makes sense, and you had resolution. But because it has 
four more seasons that completely get invalidated in the last hour of the show, which is absolutely insulting. Horrendous. Yes. Try it. Did you ever watch it? I've seen some of it. I haven't watched it the whole way through, but... Okay, so... I don't feel too bad talking about How He Met Your Mother. So, of course, the show is literally the title. The main character, how he met his wife and had his kids. His story is him telling these kids that story. He is pretty much ready to meet the mom by season four or five. Like, he is the exact same character from season four or five all the way to the final season, ninth season, right? But what they do to stretch it out because they finally got popular was that they gave his story... To Neil Patrick Harris. So his character goes through the exact same process of becoming a bachelor to becoming a person who theoretically would be well suited for marriage. So they waste your time for four seasons on that. And the sad part is it's actually good. Like the actual character to the development that they give him is good. But the problem is, is that they filmed the ending of the show back in season two and they never thought to change it. So what they did is that those four or five seasons of the character development that Neil Patrick Harris went through, they throw all of it away because they have to reset the characters back to season four or five. So their original ending makes sense. And all that does is that all the characters who grew in those last four to five seasons, they revert them back into their stereotypical selves from earlier in the show and then build them back up in a different direction in one hour. In one hour, they delete four to five seasons of everything done in that. And the good thing is that there are some shows that have learned the lesson from that to just go, this is the story. This is what we're going to tell. No more, no less. But I don't think anime is there. I haven't seen an anime where any time that I've watched it, I've go- every anime I've watched has gotten to that point in time where I just go, that wasn't needed i feel like my time was wasted and that's probably what makes me so infuriated by anime because there are some things there where i'm like that's very good can you just keep it to that please stop putting in extra filler that is pointless interesting yeah, because I was thinking, because uh, we were talking about Death Note earlier, their sequel series they made called Bakuman, I actually like it more because pretty much all it is about is about these two kids who decide to become manga artists. So mm-hmm. you get to kind of see how the industry works and, you know, it kind of shows how like badly the authors are treated, how the deadlines are, and they do all that. Mm-hmm. And then the funny thing is, this is... A spoiler kind of for the end but hmm. they eventually do make a good series and they pretty much rip off death note because that's the <laughs> series they make in there and the conflict they have at the end is they want to end it and shonen jump in the in the series is like no you guys need to keep going well they end it how they want to end it in the series so it's kind of like they get their revenge for real life because they ended up getting screwed because of how Death Note ended, like we talked about, but it's kind of a redemption story for them, which I really liked. And yeah, I mean, I don't expect you to ever watch it. That's why I figured I'd just spoil it for you. But I can tell you right now, the fact that even they were willing to slap Shonen Jump for a little bit, like going, I wanted my story and you added extra stuff that I didn't want there. I can tell you right now, it does give me joy that 
the artists behind it still have the artistic integrity, even if the people publishing it absolutely don't. Yeah, the authors over there are treated so badly. Like their work schedule, Ichiro Oda, who writes One Piece, which he's a, he's a superstar, of course, yes. because he's. I mean, he's untouchable because of all how popular One Piece is over there and how much money he has. But his work schedule is so insane. He hasn't even shown his face, I don't think, in public. That's how popular he is. But I think he sleeps three hours a day and then he rarely takes any vacations. He he's always he does get sick at, at times and then has to take hiatus because, you know, the schedule is so strict over there. But. I'm not convinced he's a human being because I don't how how long he's been going and he's known the ending of One Piece five years after it started. I think we just hit 20 years or we're getting close. I can't remember how long it's I think it was 99. The anime might have started. But anyway, but yeah, that's the author. Shonen Jump does have a lot of power over there. It's insane. It's, It's so opposite of here because you think all the creators have the power over here for the most part. Yeah, and the streaming revolution did that because if someone doesn't get picked up from HBO, congrats. Netflix will hand a paycheck to yep. anyone with a script and a heartbeat. And you don't you can even lie about the heartbeat too. Yeah, you can find other ways to get published where they have other magazines of course in Japan, but it's not shown and jump. Shown and jump is is the king. Everybody over there reads shown and jump. And the other thing is that Shonen Jump is global. Like, I know Shonen Jump. If you told me, list another publishing house of manga, I would say Viz Media, and then you'd probably <laughs> correct me and be like, I, that's not the same category. And i go, oh, Dark Horse. And you're like, that's comics. Oh, fuck it, DC. Close enough, so... All right. So, and you said, or you said, all this was so in middle school you would have classified yourself as a weeb. But so when you got to high school, did things change for you then, or what happened? So for me, just Naruto. I just kept following Naruto, and when I think about high school, I don't remember watching any anime. And I think what it was is that Netflix had actually been released already. It was already an established thing. I had a very good friend who I still have to this day that I mooch off of Netflix. And because I had access to that and I didn't really have to pirate that many movies anymore, I just started (laughs) watching so much Netflix that I just went way deeper into the cinephile realm and a person who just enjoys TV that I just went there and I didn't feel like there was a void of what to watch anymore. And then at that point, I realized that I enjoy movies because I like that you are confined to, if you're insane, a max of four hours, if you're somehow insane, or (laughs) at a minimum of like 70 minutes. I've never seen a 70 minute movie, but I know that they're out there. The fact that you have just this small constrained time and you say, This is your time. Here you go. The time investment in a movie, but the amount of production put into a movie is a nice ratio that I like, which is why whenever we'll talk about anime movies, we can go more into that. But that is why movies for me speak to me a little bit more. TV shows, on the other hand, I have just straight up had a rule where if it's on a local channel, I'm not going to watch it. So your NBCs, your ABCs, your, I was about to say CBCs, CBS, <laughs> any of those, I 
for the most part, will just not watch any of those TV shows because the way that they structure it is way too close to anime where it feels like they're not making most episodes to tell the story. They're making most episodes to string you along to keep watching. So while anime is out there to try to sell you more manga, local channels are trying to spin out 24 episodes in a season, 12 episodes in one season, 12 episodes in another, so they can get the ad revenue between the scenes. So local channels for me were just no-go. Streaming services and premium channels, your HBOs, your Showtime, Cinemax, all of that, I gravitated towards those eventually, not even because ads, but because it felt less dirty about the episode counts. They were, I love that HBO just has, for the most part, instituted a 10 episode rule per season on all their shows. That already is just making me more willing to try out an HBO show because they're just going to tell you straight up, here's 10 episodes, here you go. Netflix, for the most part, has lost me with their original programming because it felt like they had a ter- a 13-episode rule implemented. And most shows, you... Come on, try it. Have you ever heard someone talk about an original Netflix show? And they're like, yeah, you know, it was good. You could have probably cut an episode or two. And for some reason, you could apply that to literally any Netflix original. And most people would go, I don't know which one you're talking about. Are you talking about Punisher? Are you talking about... Orange is the New Black? Are you talking about House of Cards? Like, it just seems that every single Netflix original has this problem. No, and no, I think you're right with that because I even, because I know you're not paying attention to the anime scene, but I think they've even learned, especially the newer anime, they pretty much have a 13 episode season limit now. And it didn't used to be that way. 26 <laughs> episodes used to be the more popular for anime, and some of them would even do 52. Unless you're one of the big boys now, like My Hero Academia, they usually do 25, but most of them do 13 now. And I wonder if that's because it's because of the production cost, because obviously it's cheaper. But I was just going to say they had Anime Bomb in the past. That's why they've learned, I think, even from the West, especially Netflix, on why to do shorter seasons now. You took the words right out of my mouth. I really do think that since it seems that time constraints seems to be the main thing that limits anime i wouldn't be shocked if these shorter episodes weren't an artistic choice but more of well okay not an artistic choice but more of something that is a survival necessity because if you tell people there are some people out there who to be fair i think there's something broken in them and if they see like 50 episodes in a season they're like oh yeah all right i get to have my time wasted for this let's go like mm -mm, no 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 i want my time to be used not wasted So I really do think that because of the streaming revolution where more TV shows are allowed to be as long or as short as they need, that does change the market. So anime being so big in the U.S., I do think that anime had to adapt to that and go for shorter runs to be able to match the quality of actual artistic endeavors that are already in the streaming service and to not feel like it's a second job to watch it. And you know, the funny thing is that when you were talking about the 13 episode run, I immediately thought about Attack on Titan. And I remember that the second season I felt like was such a complete waste of time that it kicked in my Walking Dead rule. What is my Walking Dead rule? My Walking Dead rule is that when I watched Walking Dead, I watched all the way up to season four. And I think it was with season four that I finally stopped and I kicked. No, no, no. Hold on. It was season three. 
I felt like if an entire season is wasted, I'm not coming back. So I instituted the Walking Dead rule on Attack on Titan. I felt like season two was so much of a waste that even though everyone was like, yeah, season three, season four, I was like, I don't care. Because here's the thing. I will probably have to explain what my journey was with Attack on Titan. I think it was around 2014, 2015. I saw it on Netflix. It was enough people talking about it that I still want to remember who these people are so I can choke them out later. They're like, oh, man, it's Game of Thrones. Anyone can die. And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) you know what? Okay, fine. I don't have HBO. I guess I'll watch anime Game of Thrones. And I remember hating the first four to five episodes. But as soon as the wall went down, that was an incredible, dare I even say, perfect run, including the courtroom episode. By the time that we were done with a courtroom episode, my interest dropped off a cliff. Like a nine, if you could chart out my interest, it was a 90 degree angle. Like that's how bad we're talking. And the second half of season one, I was like, man, that... I really couldn't care. Even when they showed the Titans in the walls, like, I really don't care. I watched season two and all of season two. I just kept thinking, is anything going to happen to get me back in? And it never did. And at that point I went, well, walking dead rule. I'm sorry. I'm done. Yeah, I, I really like Attack on Titans. We actually did an episode on it earlier, but it's funny that you mentioned season two because the problem with that is they waited way too long to release yep. it. I, I don't know how long it took, but they killed so much of the hype that was following season one. And then on top of it, they couldn't live up to the hype in season two because to on be its fair. own, it's a fine season. But after waiting for two or three years, I don't know how long it was to just give us... 12 or 13 episodes and not really progress too far it really burned a lot of people and i know a lot of people who quit watching after that season here's the thing that i would argue against the hype i mean the problem okay hype in this scenario doesn't make the product better had they even put it out quicker the thing about the hype is that the only thing they would lose out is people who wouldn't come back to season two If you release it like a couple of months after season one or a year or so, I don't think that would make season two better. Season two's quality has probably just going to stay constant in either scenario. So the only thing the hype loses is if people have lost interest. So that's the thing. I don't really care if they're popular. I just care if it's good. So, yeah, well, mm. and I mean, I see what you're saying, but my argument against that would be that because it took so long that people got so they build up the hype in their own minds so that it wouldn't even live up it's kind of like you know when a game keeps getting delayed it's not going to live up to what your expectations are if you if it keeps waiting and waiting because you because in your mind even if season one wasn't as good as you remember you're not going to remember it that way because you're so involved and invested in it that people are like so hungry for it and then that ends up hurting it because then people watch it and we kind of, well, Promise Neverland is a completely different subject, but mm. season one of that was near perfection, I would say. And then season two, they butchered so hard, they ruined the anime completely. It was sad, but but that's what can happen because the hype and it and it, that one, I think I, they didn't wait as long, but, it, but that goes back to the quality, like you were saying, because the quality was worse because they, the author it's himself changed things 
that he didn't like in his original work and it made it way worse. So I don't know what he was thinking, but. Okay. So I will definitely agree with you on that one. There is a bad mentality that people have where they go, Oh, well it was only a year. I guess understand. Wait a minute. You worked on this on for two years. What you worked on this for four years. Wow. Every single year is just going to make it better. Right. Yeah. That's a, bad inverse that people have that you're not wrong i will agree with you when it comes to that but for me i am just so against hype in general that for me if i see something that interests me i will just watch maybe a trailer and i'll go cool i'm in and then i just ignore it until it's out so for me personally when i finished attack on titan one season one i just went all right I kind of hope you can do something good in season two. And then I just waited and it finally came out. I was like, okay, cool. I fired up my torrent site and went, let's go find this. And I watched it week to week. And I kept thinking, man, nothing's really happening, huh? And by the time it was over, I went, wow, I really went through the effort for nothing, huh? Which is funny because in contrast with this, my second favorite TV show of all time, Mr. Robot, right? By the way, in general, people, Mr. Robot, phenomenal. If you can just get through like the first half of season two, one of the greatest shows of all time. Season two had a steep drop off for about the first at max half of the season or like three episodes minimum. And season one was just so good. And season two, having that drop off, even watching week to week hurt. But The good thing is, is that the boredom in season two, you can actually make a good argument of why it works. But the main problem is that from there, you would have to look at it and think, but the point was made. But did you have to spend that long making the point, which is very valid. But from there, the second half of the season suddenly gets back into the groove of what I liked about season one, that they ended strong enough that I went, okay. You get a season three. Let's go ahead and watch. Season three soared even higher. And then season four of Mr. Robot is in the vaunted pantheon of something that I say had a perfect season where there's not a single piece of fat that I would cut from there. The fact that they still ended off strong gives me that hope where I am willing to come back. And every single time that there's an anime that I've tried, they never have that. I felt like I wasted so much time with Naruto because I felt like I was just, I had that completionist mentality. I already started this. I've been doing this for years. It was the sunken cost fallacy that I don't want to subscribe to anymore. I saw right. some. I saw someone in the Discord. I know exactly who it is. I just don't want to say their name. I, <laughs> Matt, you're great. I'm sorry. I just did say it anyways. <laughs> Matt saying that he bought The Last of Us Part 2 for 60 bucks and he's like, well, I spent the money. I got to do it. That was $60 a year ago. I don't think I'm rich, but I can't think of $60 that I spent a year ago that is still looming over me now. And I can't fathom thinking, well, I already have the sunken cost of $60. I might as well sink in time into this that I don't want to spend that time with. That's the thing. If he wanted to actually play the game, absolutely, go for it. But he's not excited about it, so why sink more cost into something that you don't want to do and that for me is where i come from 
if I see something that I've already invested in, I'm not going to keep investing time and hoping that it pays off. The only time I can do that is stocks. Okay, that's the only <laughs> time that I will stupidly throw bad money after good after bad money. Yeah, and because uh, that reminds me with Colin and his JRPGs, especially with Wild Arms three and even Dragon Quest eleven, like he just kept playing them because. Uh, he's already put this much time in, but I've definitely tried to stop doing that because I was playing, what was it, Nino Kuni 1, and I played like 15 hours, and I was liking it, but it, I was starting to get burned out, so I'm like, you know what, I just need to stop. I know I'm already 15 hours in, but if I'm not enjoying it, then why bother? For me, I will try to defend Colin on that one because when it comes to him playing Wild Arms, he loves the series i do not blame him for playing a bad game in the series because it's a series you love for example i love near automata more than almost anything else <laughs> near gestalt and replicant on ps3 and xbox 360 that is not a good game had i not already known about automata I probably would not have stuck through that game. Of course, I am talking about Replicant and Gestalt. I am not talking about V1.2, okay? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to Gestalt and Replicant, had I not immediately just loved everything about Automata, I would have not gotten through the original game. Even though there are things I like in that game that could have pulled me through, the music and the characters and the story are easily things that I would like to pull me through, but because I am just ready to cut off things that I am not enjoying, I would have not gotten through that game had I played it contemporarily. So for me, it is just one of those things where I don't like to have the feeling that my time is being wasted, and anime way too often does that to me. And I'm glad you brought up the point about the characters because that's what I was going to say in relation to, because I'm pretty much the opposite of you when it comes to movies versus shows. I'm way more into shows, especially anime, and I'm not a big movie watcher, but I think it's because for me, and I'm guessing you're more of a story over characters guy. No, I'm, no. I'm, oh, no. No, no, no. So okay. my Rorschach test, right, that I had mentioned previously for me, whenever I need to determine if someone is a story versus characters, I usually try to ask them if they've watched Lost. And depending on their opinion about the ending, that is usually where I think that person lands. So, of course, Lost, I, I'm not I'm going to speak vaguely. The whole theme of Lost is faith versus versus science, right? And right. the problem is that with the question of faith versus science, there were other things that were tucked underneath it. Faith also had character work underneath it, while science had the mysteries of the island and other stuff underneath that. And the final choice that Lost makes is that it decides to prioritize Faith and its characters over the science and the plot. And I personally like the ending because as long as the characters are being serviced, I am happy. But anytime that someone says that they don't like the ending of Lost, I don't think they're wrong. I just think that they have different priorities in what they're watching. For example, have you been listening to the knockback episodes that Colin and Dagan had done about rewriting the Star Wars sequels? Yes. So Colin is absolutely 
a plot person. Oh yeah, you can listen to the way that he plots it out, that you can understand the story and the world that he wants to create. There is lore that he is putting into that, while Dagon is focusing completely on characters. And if I'm going to be honest, if both of these movies are out and existing. I'm probably going to watch Dagon's because I want to see characters that I care about. You can have the most complex, incredible, brilliant plot. But if there's a character in there that I have to follow that I don't care about, why am I going to care about anything that they're doing? There was a show that I had watched not long ago called Devs, right? And Devs has a horrendous actress as the lead. And the entire idea of Devs is super cool. All right. Straw Hat, do you care about Devs at all? I don't think I've seen it. I'm 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 not a big watcher of things other than anime, honestly. And <laughs> that is fine. Look, I'll just do this. I'll do this. If for some reason you care about devs, three, two, one. So the entire idea of devs is that people have figured out how predictable humans are, and they've created a computer that can technically show you a snapshot in time of any point of human history because we humans are so predictable that the computer can just predict what happened and it'll be accurate. So for example, this machine can show you what it looks like with Jesus on the cross because Jesus was a human and they're like, well, we can predict humans. So if we just tell the computer, hey, this is history, how did that go? And it'll show you. So that as a concept, devs is super cool. But because the main actress, she's the one that has to be the one that walks us through it all, I couldn't care. I thought all of the cool ideas were cool. But because she's our avatar into this world, I couldn't care. There's a moment where someone's trying to kill her, and I was thinking, man, if you actually made the show about the person trying to kill her, I think I'd actually be more interested. (laughs) Interesting. So, yeah, I am very much a character person where if you can get me in for the characters and I like them enough, the plot could honestly be nothing. As long as I could see the progression of the characters, then I am happy. I don't want to see flat characters. I want to see them grow. Unless it's a comedy, which at that point, do you really need comedy characters to grow? You just kind of need them to be fun. Dramatic characters, they need to change. Yeah, and and that's kind of what I was going to say because mostly, like, take a couple of the anime I really like one piece in my hero academia both of them the plots are pretty run-of-the-mill they're nothing special but i've grown so attached to the characters i love the characters and their growth and development that's what i really like about them and that's what surprises me because obviously with shows you can flesh out characters way more than in movies but of course there are exceptions to that because uh the lord of the rings movies which we both really like um i think they do a great job with that and I would watch those anytime. So I think it just depends. But I feel like, at least for me, the shows just flesh out characters more, which is why I tend to lean more towards a show over a movie. Hmm. For me, when it comes to anime, the problem is, is that way too many of the big animes that get over here is that they tend to have the most boring protagonist where the protagonist is basically like i'm this good look good look i am this go lucky happy person but i have a sad past and i want to be the best of whatever i can do i'm gonna make sure that i have flashbacks before i have a fight against someone who's more powerful and i'm gonna become more powerful and i'm gonna beat you and now i'm gonna repeat this until we stop selling manga and the problem is is that 
I don't see growth in those characters because they're just going through the same thing every single time. Crap, there's another wall there. How am I going to get through it? The power of friendship, of course, and remembering that I'm loved. Like, it it's just ends up being the same thing. And the problem is that I think I have way too many people around me who don't understand what it is that I'm looking for, where they just continuously recommend me things where it's like, <laughs> oh, don't you want to watch My Hero Academia? Like, I'm tired of superheroes. Now you're telling me that I'm I'm already tired of anime. Now you're telling me there's anime superheroes? Hey, what is wrong with you? How do you not know a single thing about me where you are recommending me My Hero Academia? What is wrong with you? So... That problem is, is that I, you know, we're going to go into that direction now. I feel like it's time to talk about my distinction between anime as a medium and anime as a genre. Yep. For me, when it comes to considering it a medium, it is specifically because people like I I know you can wait. Actually, no, I don't know. Do you consider Ghibli anime or no? I mean, by the letter of the law, it is. But I think it's not. It's pretty different, honestly. I was going to say, I I consider it more like Pixar type, honestly, if I had to choose. I know, like I said, I know by the letter of the law, if you look it up, yes, it's anime because it's made in Japan, but it's not made like most anime are made. So, okay, for me, I am willing to go with your definition. I personally, if you asked me before you spoke, I would have said not anime, but I'm willing to not argue on your position. For me, Ghibli is just too universal in how they handle their animation that it just seems like they're more anime inspired than actual anime. So I'm willing to put them in the anime as a medium category, but pretty much most of the animes that I've watched, I would throw those in the anime as a genre category. The reason why is that anime has these tropes that they keep coming back to. Now, the reason why I say anime as a genre is that you can look at a whole bunch of other genres and they're just some tent poles that you're going to keep running into. For example, let's just say stealth video games. Stealth games are always going to have certain things to it. Obviously, don't get seen. Maybe the action that you have to take if you get seen is not going to be powerful enough to get through it. There are just these certain tent poles that you have to rely on romantic comedies for some reason they're just always going to have a meet cute there's going to be a liar reveal there's something that splits up the main characters and there's always going to be the grand gesture at the end that brings them back together there are tropes in every single genre and that's okay tropes are not a bad thing you just have to build up on them the problem is is that most animes just use the tropes and then think nothing beyond that So at that point, anime becomes a genre to me, where it just becomes the conventions are reused over and over and over again in different ideas and never built up upon them. Whereas anime as a medium literally just has the art style as anime, but goes into different directions where it doesn't have the trappings of anime. And I think that calling it all anime isn't right i don't think that they should be underneath the same umbrella because there are so many things that you can look at in anime shows that make it so obviously anime but i don't feel comfortable putting naruto next to something like perfect blue i think the whole problem with this is uh with with what you're saying too with the um because i i see what you're saying especially because 
in America, really the only because there are different types of animes with different genres, but really the <clears> only <throat> ones that get exposed and that are popular here are kind of what I mentioned before. They're the shonen genre. Yep. Which mm-hmm. they all, like you said, they have the same tropes. They have the same type of characters. They have the self-insert meek hero who everyone in Japan thinks themselves to be. They yeah. have they're usually boring or have some they're a transfer student if you're persona, something like that. Oh, they always have the rival friend character that would yep. probably be more interesting if you focused on them, but instead they're just there so you can still pay attention. And it's really I'm it is really curious to me that that genre became so popular because like we said before it's it's meant for younger kids in japan and mm-hmm. while i do like a lot of shonen some of them are probably some of my favorites there are other things out there that are way different and they break the tropes but they just don't get as popular here for whatever reason and that honestly makes me sad and why I feel like I need to beat the drum on the few times that something in anime as a medium is good. I mean, okay, so of course, Straw Hat, you... No, actually, I don't think you know, but screw it, I'm going to retell it anyways. So I am kind of crazy about collecting steelbooks for both games and movies. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) You Uh, and Addy both. Oh, that, that's the thing. I converted him over to start going insane. <laughs> so uh, progenitor right here. Uh, Steelbooks for me, I think one day I found out that there was a website like literally steelbooks.com or steelbook.com, one or the other. I went on there and I realized that they had a listing of all the new steelbooks that they release. And here's the problem. It's already hard to find drugs. But once you find out that there's a spot where you can continuously getting drugs, that's usually when you turn into an addict. So... <laughs> I saw that they had just this gorgeous, gorgeously beautiful steelbook of perfect blue. Now, yeah, I remember you talking about. I remember you showing that blue st- or the that steelbook at the time. I think you shared it in the Discord. So the artwork for perfect blue. Just anytime I see it, it just invokes this feeling of lostness like you don't understand anything that's going on it just feels freeing and yet like you're drowning at the exact same time the use it, of it, the it, it fits color. the tone so good too of the movie exactly and i saw just this steelbook having no idea what the movie was at all and i just told myself even if i hate the movie i want that steelbook because it's just a gorgeous piece of art. I don't mean the drawing on the steelbook itself. I'm saying that the steelbook itself is a piece of art. The artwork on it, the colors on it, all of it is just beautiful that even if I hated the movie, I knew that that was something that I wanted in my collection. And it was just by sheer luck that I realized that wasn't just a good movie. It's a film. And... Perfect Blue should not be put in the same category as things that people will write off immediately. Like, if you told me that this was just an anime movie, I would write it off really quickly. And so that's why I make my argument that anime movies, I don't really see them as anime. I tend to see them more as foreign films because, once again, I am a cinephile. I am ready to try almost any movie except probably rom-coms because that genre just hasn't innovated (laughs) in like years. 
Like the yeah. last rom-com that I think rem- I remember being good was like Crazy Stupid Love in like 2011. So that's a genre that just for the most part is dead. But anime, I don't think that it's right to call Perfect Blue an anime because you can give this to someone who appreciates film and they'll understand the craft that is going on here. I'm not even talking just the animation work. I'm talking about the editing, the use of music, the use of themes and all that. I feel like it's wrong to put Perfect Blue underneath the same umbrella because more people need to be made aware of things like Perfect Blue. I do think that anime movies can break away from my problems with anime because they're allowed the time, they're allowed the budget, and they're told this is your time frame. You have an hour 20 to, if for some reason you're insane, four hours, and you want to tell this story in one shot, you better be sure that every single second of this is what you want to put out because there's not going to be another episode where you can correct your previous works. This is what you have. This is what you're working with it. Go for it. Right. And I know because I, I don't watch many anime movies, but there's a few that I really love, like Silent Voice. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Your Name's, of course, really popular. And then Princess Mononoke is one of my favorites, too. And I mean, those all three are different. I, don't, I think they're all three from different studios. So, yeah, they're completely different. I mean, the animations, you can tell it's from Japan, but otherwise the style is way different on all three of them. And they have definitely hit me emotionally. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And even transitioning more into games now, I kind of think that happens with JRPGs and visual novels still to this day, too. Like people write off the genre like, oh, it's it's just a especially with something like and we've talked about it on your show, (laughs) Passive Pixels, 13 Sentinels. People were like, oh, this is just a visual novel. I'm not going to play this. But it's still there's more to it than just being a visual novel i feel like jrpgs are breaking away a little more and becoming more people look at them and accept them but visual novels still are very much the extreme niche game that people are going to write off simply because they are a visual novel and i know i had discovered danganronpa even before uh, Colin mentioned it back at IGN. But when he did that, it made me even more interested. And it got so many people into visual novels and something crazy wacky like Rampa. And it takes something like that sometimes to break people's mind free of just the genre trappings of anime like you were saying before. The thing for me that makes the conversation weird when it comes to games is that there are just certain genres that people aren't going to like. Like they're like you don't really care for shooters. So sure right. we can show you a shooter that you'll go, wow, that was good. So for example, like we still have that bet on whether if God of War hits PC. Uh, <laughs> not looking context, good for me. <laughs> no, it is not. So for context is that the bet is God of War goes to PC at the end of this year. Well, some point this year 2018 version by the way too the the reboot Mm -hmm. and my bet is that it doesn't straw hat says it does my bet is that if i win then straw hat has to play spec ops the line a six hour game and that that's the deal i on the other hand will have to immediately get trails of cold steel one and play for 10 hours so those are the rules and spec ops the line is 
legitimately a great game, a phenomenal story. The gameplay itself is not good, but the thing is that I think that helps the story so much that it doesn't feel good because it does not want you to feel good while you play it. And the fact that it's six hours, that usually helps it to not make you feel like you're feeling bad for 30 hours like something else that I the name escapes me. Um, <laughs> so for me, when it comes to games, I think that there are just certain genres that people are not going to gravitate towards. There are people who are going to go turn-based. I don't want to wait. I don't want to feel like this right. isn't how a fight would go. So there are just some people who jrpgs are just never going to work for them it may be action rpgs but then again that's when you start splitting off to different genres uh visual novels on the other hand there are some people who are going to be like oh i'm not even playing or anything i'm just moving a joystick and hitting x and reading dialogue right. i'm just watching a book why don't i just watch a tv show there are just going to be certain things in a genre that i don't think people have a bias against japanese works i think the bias is more of the action of play itself within those genres right i definitely agree with you because like you said i'm not a shooter fan and mostly it's because like kind of like we talked about it before i when i play a game i'm interested in the i'm a character story over gameplay guy for the most part that's mm. not going to say i'm not going to like some shooters because there are exceptions and i probably would like spec ops if it has a good story because <laughs> most of my problem with shooters is there's really no point to the story or even the characters. You're just a bro running through shooting people and it's fun. The gameplay is fun. I put tons of hours into overwatch. That doesn't even have a story. It does have great characters though, but they don't really get flushed out in the actual game. But I guess my point was more that there are exceptions to the rules, but you're right generally because like you said, most people, if you don't like turn-based RPGs, it doesn't matter how good the story and characters are if you hate the gameplay. So, Unless it's Persona, because for some reason, Persona is the one that people, if they give it a shot, they're like, I hate everything that this game is doing in other stuff, and yet when it's here, for some reason, it's palpable. And see, my thing with Persona... It's, it definitely is a JRPG, but I think it's almost more of a visual novel simulation because, you know, you have yes. the day-by-day -day calendar, and the combat is more secondary compared to the actual life simulation stuff, which is fine because I love Persona too. But I think that it's definitely, it lacks in some of the more JRPG archetype stuff, I would say. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, people love Persona. And Final Fantasy, of course, broke through and is way, really popular now. So, and I think Final Fantasy is also going back to what we had said earlier. Final Fantasy is just so spread out in general that True. it's hard to point at something in Final Fantasy and go, "Oh, well, what about this part?" Like for example, if someone said, "I like Final Fantasy," that is way too much of a broad statement where you're like, yeah. "Oh, okay, um, yep. did you like theater rhythm? Did you <laughs> like the SNES games? Did you like?" The... You like their appearance in Kingdom Hearts? What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, there are so many different facets. Oh, God, can you imagine if someone's like, I love Final Fantasy. Oh, what do you like? I love Spirits Within. You're like, I can't be. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. This is over. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. This is a bad date. Listen, I know somebody who no. liked the Final Fantasy characters just no. because of them appearing in Kingdom Hearts, and it hurt me deeply because it's not even a good representation of the characters. 
and they're talking about them. Oh, I really like Yuffie. She was great in Kingdom Hearts. Like, no, 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 please, no, stop. Why Look, are you acting like this? Straw Hat, I never played Final Fantasy VII completely through or even far enough to get to Yuffie. And even I know that I would never say such asinine stuff when the fact that Yuffie, I only know her from Kingdom Hearts. The fact that anyone says that there is a character in Kingdom Hearts is like, yeah, I love them in there. It's like, you saw them for two minutes. Like, that's it. Like, literally the only characters I can understand people saying like, ah, I like them is maybe the actual native Kingdom Hearts characters. Like, those are the only ones I understand because they're the only ones who get development. Can you imagine if someone's like, oh, yeah, I love Simba from The Lion King. That was my favorite <laughs> level in Kingdom Hearts 2. You're like, what uh, is... What painful. is... I will pay you $7 right now to go to Disney Plus and watch The Lion King so you can never say some stupid shit like that again. Yeah, that's bad. And 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 guess what, Addy, this is for you if you listen this far. Sora sucks. I hate he's not a great Sora character. Is horrible. Sora is every single anime protagonist in every shonen ever. Wow, I have friendship. I get sad sometimes, but I have a moody best friend that is my rival, but also my best friend, and I'm going to do everything that I can with him, and the power of friendship is going to get me through. Sora is the most bland protagonist out of just all of the series that people hold very dearly when it comes to weepdom. Like, Sora is not there. He's not a character. He's an avatar for you to beat things with a giant key with. Yep. And I, there's a lot of people that like him, though, and I don't get it because I think both other trios of characters are way better than the, than the main trio because I don't like Kairi either. I do like Riku, but... Everyone likes Riku. Yeah. How can, I mean, he's actually a character, so... He actually has growth. What? You're telling me that he went from a little punk to a kid who just realizes that he has to protect his friends and that he can't go and cross the line to do it? And even sometimes when he crosses the line, he loses himself because of it? Riku actually has a curve, an arc to his personality. Sora is the exact same fucking character from the very first few seconds that we saw him all the way to now like almost two decades after all right that's that's enough kingdom hearts talk we definitely spent more time on that than i wanted to hold on um, i'm just gonna say my one piece about kingdom hearts all the right, only yep. good thing is yoko shimamura and the world oh, that yes. never was in kingdom hearts 2 that's it that is the <laughs> those are the two things that i will defend to the death about kingdom hearts literally everything else push off a cliff i was a i was very disappointed in kingdom hearts 3 and I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to resist playing the next one, but I'm going to try. So please I'm not stop me, lie. people. Kingdom Hearts 4 is something that I am curious about, mostly because Normura, he dropped a couple of credits in my mind with Final Fantasy VII Remake. The fact that this man made probably one of my favorite games of like the last five years, I hate him because I just want to write him off so badly. But Final <laughs> Fantasy VII Remake is right there. And I'm just like, yep. you son of a bitch. You have given me so much grief. But you gave me the world that never was in Kingdom Hearts 2. And you also gave me Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yoko Shimomura is always working with him. <sighs> we'll probably be back unfortunately but I don't, let's no, uh, I don't let's, want to be 
let's talk about i want to talk about your top three favorite i guess we'll say weeb game franchises now one of them i'm not sure if it counts but i'm gonna try and guess your top three because this definitely is it if it counts but my my guess for your top three would be near obviously number one i would guess metal gear if that counts as weeb and then persona would be my next guess is that correct or am i off Look, I will give you Persona as Weep. I'll go that far. Okay, fine, fine. If I have to, if I have to give up that fight, look, let's just put it out, off to the side. Absolutely, I would probably go Metal Gear over Near though, oh. because so Near, I love Automata more than any single Metal Gear game. <laughs> if you gave me Replicant V one point two versus any Metal Gear game. I would take Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 mm. over Replicant V1.2. But I would probably take V1.2 over either Metal Gear Solid 1, Metal Gear Solid 4, Peace Walker, for sure Metal Gear Solid 5. Like, I know for sure that no single game for Metal Gear will beat Automata. But if you had Automata hanging off a cliff, and Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 on the other cliff, I would jump off myself and die with them. Well, I, I wasn't expecting that. Speaking of that, this is a side note, but <laughs> Ed did, on Passive Pixels, he did an eight-hour podcast about Near Gestalt and Replicant. Not 1.2, but I think you're adding a, a pickup to that at some point. But I actually listened to all of it. Jesus. Much to his surprise. And it was really good. If, you, if you're if you a fan of Nier, he went through everything. And even it's talked about Drakengard, too. So if you're a big fan of that franchise, definitely listen to it. You don't have to listen to it all at once. You can listen to it in chunks. I I'm certainly so didn't, sorry. <laughs> I certainly didn't sit there for eight hours. But it took me a while. But I, I listened to it all. So Anyone who actually listens to that, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry. I... <sighs> No joke. I've been saying this for a while now that I specifically put timestamps in my podcast because I really do not want people to listen to the entire thing. Like, there's way too much good shit out there to spend on me. Please, if you see a topic, just jump there. It does not hurt my feelings. So let's talk about how you got into Metal Gear, since that's your favorite. When when did you decide, when did you first get blessed by Kojima's brilliance? Because I was very late to the series. Like I just played it recently because I didn't own a PS One, and I got a PS Two late. So how did you get into Metal Gear as a franchise? Straw, Straw Hat, do you just remember those things that you had as a child and you remember loving, and then you revisit them and you think, wow. Kids are stupid. Yes. I am so happy that Metal Gear is not that for me. I remember as a kid, as many, many kids remember around my age, the Pizza Hut demo disc of Metal Gear Solid 1 is something that was vaunted and just something that was to be praised to replay Metal Gear Solid 1's opening over and over and over again. Just, I remember sleeping over at my cousin's house. It was him, his younger brother, me, and my older brother. They had a PS1. I had, and my brother, of course, we had an N64. So the PS1 over there was just something that was foreign to us. 
Metal Gear Solid 1, I just remember being so captivated by everything that was going on with that in the demo. The music and the atmosphere and the fact that they were using actual camera scenes. Like, even at the age of four or five, I had watched a couple of movies already. So it's not, I don't even mean animated movies. Like, I mean, like, actual movies they weren't films or anything like off the top of my head i can remember that i watched american pie like i was used to, yeah i know yeah that's <laughs> look i was trying to, i was trying to move on but <laughs> but but i had watched a couple of movies around that age and metal gear just was that thing where it had the artisticness that I wasn't used to. At this point, the only video games that I can remember are things on the NES. My brother had the N64. And really, the only games I can remember on there were Rush 2 and whatever NBA game he had gotten. And for me, I had the NES. So it was Super Mario Bros. and Duck Hunt, as well as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Like, those are the NES games that I remember. So Metal Gear, even at such a young age, ha I wouldn't have been able to put it in words, but I just knew it was different. So Metal Gear Solid 1, I actually did not completely play until, like, 2011 or 2012. Like, we're talking way later on. But my relationship with Metal Gear continued from there because we had gotten a PS2 in 2000 or 2001 i don't remember but at that point metal gear became kind of like a theater matinee for me where my brother would then go and go to blockbuster and rent metal gear solid 2 metal gear solid 3 metal gear solid 4 and of course i'd be in my room i would just i, I don't know maybe not even the, my bedroom i would be maybe in the living room somewhere but as soon as I heard that PS2 sound kick off and I knew that we had gone to Blockbuster earlier in the week, I'm like, yes, I'm about to sneak into my brother's room. I'm going to be silent as hell. I don't need him to recognize that I'm in the room. I just need him to give me that dirty look of like, you're going to shut up, right? And I give that acknowledging look. Well, not even acknowledging look. I just look at the ground and go, look, I can't make eye contact with you because I'm horrified. But the answer is yes. And I just sit down. <laughs> And I just watch him play. And even though that's something that I don't think, you know, <laughs> would really make me a Metal Gear fan at that point. Like, people would probably be snapped and be like, ah, you don't really like Metal Gear. You didn't even test the controller. I considered myself a Metal Gear fan because I enjoyed watching that. Yeah. And it is inescapable that Metal Gear is something that is nostalgic to me. But... At this point, I've replayed them so much that I know it's not just nostalgia. I truly do love these video games. And the memories with my brother has only enhanced it. To be able to remember just me sitting there and remembering that my brother was there playing these games. And like I even remember that specifically Vamp in Metal Gear Solid 2 horrified me. And I think I actually had nightmares about him, but for some reason, it was never enough to be something that I brought up to my family. But every single time, even with these nightmares, like I would still go back in there. I was so fucking just captivated by everything there. And Metal Gear Solid 3, the exact same thing. He would rent it. I would sneak in. He would give the stare. I'd look at the ground and we would just continue playing. I remember 
all of this, just so much. Metal Gear Solid 4, of course, as well. I'm going to take a pause. Straw Hat, is there anything that you want to jump on before I continue? Well, I was just going to say to back up your point, I because I'm not biased in any of this, I hadn't played a Metal Gear game until... 20 well i i my friend had a ps3 so i tried metal gear solid 4 and that was my first experience i was completely lost I, of course i had yep. no idea what was happening but i have a couple friends who like you are huge metal gear fans they grew up playing it they're like dude you got to play these games so like i said in 2019 i decided i bought the collection on vita which doesn't have number one so mm. i think i played it on pc I did buy so, the PS1 Classic, but but anyway, I, I played it, and I got to say, they all hold up still. Like The controls are rough, especially in one, and if, if the controls were a little better in one, it might be my favorite one out of the first four. I still haven't played five yet because Addy bet me that, the same with the God of War bet, that if, if it comes out this year, I got to play that, which was already on my backlog. But Metal Gear Solid 2 is my favorite one because I, just, I, I really like the way it played. I like and the area three is great too, of course. I just like the inside area, I think, more than the outdoor one. Hmm. But and I also really liked riding, especially because I kept hearing everybody hated them so much. I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. Plus, the ending in two is just like, oh. But yes, okay. continue. No, 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 no. Now, okay. Oh, I'm split on two different directions. Me talking about Metal Gear Solid two and three, or going to Metal Gear Solid four. Screw it. I'm gonna jump back then. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, I remember watching that as a kid and just being like, wow, this is incredible. Of course, at the internet, um, whenever people started talking about Metal Gear Solid 2, it was just everyone bitching about it. They're like, this game fucking sucks. I hate Raiden, blah, 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 all of this. The problem for me is that I had listened to that and then I played the game for myself for the first time backwards compatible on my PS3. Like I found the PS2 copy in 2010, 2011, and I replayed it and I was like, man, I don't really like writing. And I don't think I was even at the age of like 15 or 16. I don't think I was old enough to understand Metal Gear Solid 2. But whenever I go back and I replay Metal Gear Solid 2, I have such a deeper appreciation for Metal Gear Solid 2, not because of the narrative that's in there, but the meta narrative that Kojima puts in that. The fact that he specifically advertised Metal Gear Solid 2 as the grand all big all sequel of Metal Gear Solid 1. Metal Gear Solid 2 easily could be considered one of the most hyped up games in the entire history of video games because one you had the entire power of the ps2 behind it and the excitement that people had of that the ps2 is so powerful of a console that it pushed sega out of the console business as far as i can think that has never happened before or after where no hold on i think the nes probably kicked out atari so Think about that. There's only been two times where a console was so dominant that it pushed an entire company out of the business. The NES and the PS2. And the NES brought back gaming for an entire generation. The PS2 was such a dominant presence that it pushed out Sega from the gaming business, which is absolutely insane. That already is powerful enough. And then you have Metal Gear Solid 2, a game that was a sequel to a breakout that no one saw coming. Metal Gear Solid 2 easily had such high expectations that Kojima doing what he did with Metal Gear Solid 2, where he decided to make a narrative about misinformation 
and put it as a narrative and the meta narrative in the game it just makes it one of the most impressive video games ever where even the story of the game releasing is part of the story the whole thing where they showed only the tanker chapter for metal gear solid 2 and then made it a misinformation campaign that matches the story of the misinformation that Patriots are doing in Metal Gear Solid 2 is one of the most beautiful synergistic stories ever put in any medium that it is hard to call mass Metal Gear Solid 2 being called a masterpiece almost feels like an understatement. Like that's how impressive that is. The fact that Raiden is this flippy-haired little bitch that you find out by the time at the end of the game that he is secretly the most fucked-up character and the most just Crazy. absolute badass in the entire series. I mean, Raiden is this flippy-haired bitch in-game, but then at the end, whenever Solidus Snake is talking about Raiden, he's like, yeah, you were my best child soldier. If I needed something done, I sent you. You go and you're like a 10 year old destroying these people with a knife only and then you get the entire background where rose is talking about how i went into your apartment and it's empty it was nothing but a bed and a desk and they talk about all the alcohol that he was consuming to try to forget about his past that even he himself doesn't remember. He doesn't remember his past, but subconsciously he does. And this is why he does all these things. The fact that I missed this and that everyone else missed this is something that it kind of gets me mad. But at the same time, I'm so happy that we finally got to a point with Metal Gear Solid 2 that people understand the brilliance of it. And before anyone else says it, the last was part two is not going to get there. Moving on. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Metal Gear Solid 3. Metal Gear Solid 3. I have come to the conclusion that I can't choose between these two. Because Metal Gear Solid 2 has plot out the ass in characters that are used for the plot. Raiden is a character, but he is a tool to the plot more than anything else. So it's not exactly like I can hold on to that too much. I understand it, but it's not going to be something that really pushes me over metal gear solid 3 on the other hand specs all its points into character and a plot that is behind it where the characters themselves are the reason for the plot the story of big boss and the boss and this struggle of the loyalties whether if it lies within other people or within the nations themselves it is just an incredibly deep story where you have characters themselves trying to figure out where exactly their loyalties lie. And then the decisions that branch out from that metal gear solid three is just such a phenomenal piece of story of just these characters who care about each other. That just so happens to also have some really goofy jokes in the middle of it. Like if you jump your time clock a week, you can kill a boss fight. Yeah. Like that, Metal Gear Solid 3 is just such an amalgamation of everything that makes Metal Gear special and then takes it such an extra level, but also loses a bit of the intelligence for it. And I can't ever decide if Metal Gear Solid 2 is better than 3 or the other way around because both of them are just such phenomenal experiences that I don't want to choose. Like, I have just now come to the conclusion that the peak is 2 and 3. Metal Gear Solid 4 is just straight icing, and it is your mileage may vary on how you feel about that. 
Yeah, I'm curious how I'm going to like five. But, you know, Kojima is such a special, special creator that he makes us care about characters like a fetus and Garamel del Toro in a shower <laughs> getting sweaty. This is what the, I care deeply about these moments and his in Death Stranding. But the, he, he's just such a good storyteller and he's good at developing characters, too. And not only that, this man has just innovated gameplay wise. Absolutely. The Metal Gear Solid games. So I put myself up to the challenge to platinum Metal Gear Solid 2. I can tell you right now, that shit was fucking hard. That was <laughs> so difficult. I always thought Metal Gear Solid 3 was just better gameplay than 2. And I didn't even think the gameplay in Metal Gear Solid 2 was that good. I was like, oh, it's just a minor improvement of 1. Through trying to get the platinum of Metal Gear Solid 2, I did not realize how mechanically deep that game is. And how far you need to go and to get good to actually be able to platinum it. And I can assuredly say that I am a master of Metal Gear Solid 2 by the time that I was done with the platinum. The literal final boss in Metal Gear Solid 2. Actually, you know what? No, no. Let's take it back even one more step. Straw Hat, do you remember at the end of Metal Gear Solid 2 when you're having to fight all the Metal Gear race? Yes. Okay, so apparently with each difficulty there are a different amount of rays that you need to beat if you are on very easy you need to beat like maybe three or four of them whenever you play on the hardest difficulty you have to fight 20 of them you have literally one ration good luck yeah that fight was hard enough on normal let alone with all that yeah and the funny thing is that by the time that i got done with those metal gear rays i was like fuck okay i got through it there is a scene where uh, Solidus starts choking you out. He's like, I'll squeeze the answers uh, yeah. out of you, my son. And he just starts squeezing you, and you got to tap the button. I finished that tapping segment, and I couldn't even see my health. I was like, wait, how the fuck am I still alive? I can't see my health. And I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. Wait a minute. There's another boss fight. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I had to fight the solidest boss fight with a sword, no weapons or anything without (laughs) health at all. If I got hit once or even so much got breathed on too hard, I died and I did it. How many tries did you do it in one shot or no, absolutely not. Oh God. No, 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 no. no. Uh, There was no way. There was no way. All I know is that I started like around maybe 10 PM with the metal gear race fight and i didn't finish till like 4 a.m wow yeah dedication oh dude i can tell you right now those two platinums are probably one of my most proud ones easily proudest moments yeah so i think it might be time to go into metal gear solid 4 what do you think yep let's do it all right so this is something so wonderful do you know what today is jack i i saw you sent me that so it's cheating yeah yeah don't worry you didn't have to actually answer it it is fine today is let's see two three 13 year anniversary of metal gear solid 4 that's insane it's horrifying it's horrifying (laughs) it's horrifying to be fair the thing that horrified me more was in like 2015 or 2016 when someone was like yeah, the entire Metal Gear Solid series has now happened in the past. And I was like, ah, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Ah. <laughs> so Metal Gear Solid 4 
was for me the actual first Metal Gear Solid game I actually played myself. Came out in 2008. I'm I'm 25. I was no, I, that doesn't make sense. Hold on. Oh, I was 13. So I remember playing Metal Gear Solid 4, and I still had no idea what was going on because all the other games, it's not exactly like I understood. I remember that we actually had a PS3. Like, we had a 60-gig PS3. So we had, I think, gotten it about a month after it released. So we were around the first gen. And I remember we rented Metal Gear Solid 4, and I was so excited because at this point, I knew Metal Gear Solid meant my brother's going to rent it, come in i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna see some cool shit and eventually because i realized i was old enough i was like wait a minute i might actually be able to grab a controller understand what's going on and be able to get through this game another solid four i really didn't understand what was going on there was just a whole bunch of cool cutscenes, and i was like i'm feeling this i just like their line de- delivery i'm in and i remember beating it and i was like man that was a great experience i don't think i really understood anything that was going on but like i just know i really enjoyed myself and from there i told myself you know what we've got this 60 gig ps3 i should probably find the other games and play for them for myself now that i feel like i understand dexterity enough to be able to play them so from there i was able to find a friend who sold me a copy of metal gear solid 4 in high school for like five bucks it was awesome. Wow. Um, well, no, hold on. About two years later, about two years later, because the game came out in 2008. My brother had rented it then. I was in high school in 2010, at least my freshman year. And that was about the point that I started going back and trying to figure out Metal Gear for myself instead of just as a backseat gamer. So he told me that. The funny thing is, I still think that I have that copy. And. You know how they have the note section in the manual? He actually still has things written in there. So if I wanted to look in, I know exactly who gave me the copy. That's really cool. That really is, man. And Metal Gear Solid 4 is something that after I played that, I was like, man, this is so good. I found another friend who sold me the Metal Gear Solid 1 copy that only came in the Essential Collection. Do you know the Essential Collection or no? I think I've seen it. It's been a while since I looked, but yeah, it it sounds familiar. Okay, so for anyone who doesn't, the Essential Collection, what that is, is that whenever Metal Gear Solid 4 came out, it came out in 2008 on the PS3. At this point, the PS3 was still backwards compatible with the PS2, so there were a whole bunch of companies jumping in and republishing some of their older games for PS2, that you can play on PS3. There was no PS3 branding, but everyone kind of understood if you're republishing these games in 2008, when the PS2 was last relevant in 2006, it's because the PS3 can play them. And one of them was the Metal Gear Solid Essential Collection. What they did is that they repackaged Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and 3. And they had the Yoji Shinkawa just beautiful artwork as the covers. And... This is, I think, the only instance in the U.S. where Metal Gear Solid 1 had the DVD-sized copy instead of the CD copy. And I am so lucky that that friend that I bought it off of from, he gave me that long box one. Once again, another $5, which I think at this point, it's it's not expensive, but it's usually trending maybe $20, $30 to actually <laughs> find that. With the Metal Gear Solid 1 copy that I had played... Thankfully, all PS3s are backwards compatible. So, well, backwards compatible to PS1. 
So I was able to play it on any PS3. The Ocelot torture segment is something that I only was able to beat because I did the first two runs of tapping the button. And the last run, I had to toss it to my cousin to be able to do the last one because I could <laughs> not get all three. So Metal Gear Solid 1 is something that I did get through. And I was like, man, that was good. I found a PS2 copy, like I said, found it, played it, and I let the internet influence me. I was like, yeah, all right, that was a game, but Raiden sucks. I played Metal Gear Solid 3, and I was instantly enthralled, absolutely in love with it. That, had you asked me at that point, Metal Gear Solid 3 would probably have been my favorite game of all time. And the ending with the boss and... The the song choice of Way to Fall, I just think is just perfect. There's not a thing I would change in the pacing, the scene, the audio choice, nothing. And then I finally replayed Metal Gear Solid 4, and I understood it. And I was like, man, this is just so damn good. My opinion has changed on that, but we'll get there. After that, I had a PSP. I had a cousin who bought Portable Ops. And I bought it off of them for 20 bucks, which, by the way, Portable Ops is also a little bit hard to find now. And I remember playing Portable Ops, and I was like, this is fucking cool. I can do this on the go. I'm finding out more about Big Boss's story. This is great. And at this point, I had already hacked my PSP. So I bought this copy anyways when I could have pirated it. But <laughs> even then, I still knew that I wanted to own it. And... Keep in mind, this for the next part, hacking on the PSP was so widespread that the PSP had like 80 million units out there in the wild, and they were games that were selling that weren't even cracking 1 million. Like, that's how bad it was. Oh, yeah, and... I cracked mine, because I, I, I think I only own like two or three games. I mostly used it to play SNES games on the emulator. It's mostly what I did with it. Exactly, and that's what everyone did. So... <laughs> The fact that even when I was young, like 15 or 16, that I didn't have a steady income, the fact that I still wanted to buy it, that's that's pretty impressive. And the reason I mentioned that is because I specifically remember saving up money to buy Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker for full fucking price at GameStop at a mall. Like, I remember this so specifically because once I had it in my hand, I was like, holy shit, I got to buy a Metal Gear Solid game new. And I just remember being so excited about that. And honestly, it's been downhill from there. <laughs> so Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, I remember playing it on PSP. I was like, this is incredible. I'm getting Metal Gear on the go. And it was actually directed by, Koji, uh, by Kojima this time. So like Portable Ops had a little bit of weirdness, but like it's still a Metal Gear game, even if it gets ignored. It's still canon, by the way. It's still canon. It's just that they ignore the fact that it's canon. But Peace Walker is a great replacement for that. And Peace Walker was probably the last time that I fully loved a Metal Gear Solid game. Uh, Metal Gear Rising, that's different. Metal Gear Rising, like it's rising. So that's right. different. Damn good game still, but not exactly what I'm looking for. Just kind of, it's, it's, it's not my tempo. I like it. I have played it through. But if I ever replay the series, I'm not thinking of rising whenever it comes to that good game just something that you know it's fine i don't need it no one thinks it's a bad i don't i'm not thinking it's a bad game don't think it's a bad game just 
it's not part of what I think of when I think of what I love about Metal Gear. Um, Metal Gear Solid Five, Ground Zeroes. I don't like that game at all. I I just don't like it. I don't even think it's the sleaziness behind it. I just don't like the closed boxed nature of it because I either I'm not good at it or there's just something about the design of Camp Omega that I don't like that feels like you have to rely on learning the map itself instead of the mechanics and the reliance on the reflex just kind of annoys me and the problem is that with Metal Gear I like learning guard patterns but not exactly the level design itself and I like learning the mechanics and it felt like Ground Zeroes was like no no no, you're gonna need to learn Camp Omega and how this works I'm like I don't want to do that so Ground Zeroes was a miss but for some reason Phantom Pain was just so mechanically heavy that I was like this is a great game but you're not doing the things that I want in the Metal Gear game yeah, I'm really curious what I'm going to think of it, because like I said, I haven't played that one yet, but I know I have a couple, like my friends earlier who I mentioned with Metal Gear, they, uh, my one friend really likes Grounds, or likes Phantom Pain too, but he's like, he loves it, but it's not a Metal Gear game. It doesn't really feel like one. So I'm like, oh, I wonder how I'm going to like it then. We'll see, I guess, if I lose that bet. And we'll see anyway, because I'll play it at some point. Straw Hat, you will like Metal Gear Solid 5. It's not going to be your favorite or anything like that. You're not going to get the more Metal Gear vibes that you're looking for, but you're going to like it because it is so difficult to not be in the rhythm that that game puts you in. Did you ever play Peace Walker or no? No, I have not. Oh, oh you are going to get addicted. So, uh, pretty much. I've heard a lot about is Is that where you like recruit people to or something? Yes, correct. So the thing is that with Metal Gear Solid, Peace Walker, actually no, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops, Peace Walker, and 5 is just a constant refinement of the same idea, which is that you're out there in gameplay, but even when you go back into the menus, the game has not stopped. So it is an incredible gameplay loop where you're going out, you're coming back, and the menus themselves are just as fun as the gameplay out there. And it's something that I honestly don't know how they achieved making menus as fun as they are. Like, it's just a phenomenally designed game that I, whenever people are like, oh, Kojima's up his ass on his, on stories. Why can't he, I play his game? Like, all of his games are re- in, infinitely playable, except maybe Metal Gear Solid 1. Like, that's the only one where I'm like, okay, yeah, that feels a little bit rough, but that's because we have Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 that just improve it. But anytime that someone complains about the stories, it's like, dude, you can skip the stories and still have, like, some really good gameplay in here. Or if people are like, ah, I don't really care about the gameplay, you can drop it on easy and just run through. Like, there's no moments in the game where you really do need to perfect stealth it, unless, you know, you're on harder difficulties. So Metal Gear Solid, for me, is just one of those things that it should be able to cater to both halves of what people don't like about Kojima, but I like both sides, so this is great for me. Yeah, I can't even imagine playing Metal Gear and skipping the story, but like you said, I'm sure people do it, especially with 5, because I have a couple friends on Steam who play 5, and they've put a th- over a 1,000 hours into the multiplayer of MGS5. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow. 
Yeah. Oh, no, no. I can tell you right now, Straw Hat. So I did have a brief stint with the online for Metal Gear Solid 4. That shit is just really good because those mechanics are so just varied that you can have some really stupid shit there. Like, I remember specifically that with Metal Gear Online, the no, no, sorry, Metal Gear Online 2, because there's three of them. There's Metal Gear Online that came with Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence. There is Metal Gear Online 2 that came out with Metal Gear Solid 4. And there's Metal Gear Online 3 that came out with 5. Now, for Metal Gear Online 2, I remember specifically that you can actually spec out your character to what you want them to be proficient at. And the thing is that I love the CQC in... Well, I love the CQC in Metal Gear Solid 2 and on. That for the most part, I didn't really rely on guns. I just loved going up to people grabbing them and then choking them out and snapping their neck <laughs> or slicing their throat if it was metal gear solid 3 like I, I like to do too it. so <laughs> <laughs> so with metal gear online 2 i specced it out so i was godly at cqc where i didn't even have to do a button prompt if someone tried to cqc me my character would automatically counter you and I remember that there was a lobby where it was just CQC. And I realized that there was someone else who specked out uh, completely. So it was just the two of us fighting. And we're like, fuck, oh, God, oh, God, I don't want to get. No, no, you're not slicing my throat. And so we just were fighting. And everyone else was in front of us taking each other on. And eventually the guy who I was fighting, who also was perfect CQC, we just stood in the back crouching, watching the rest of the people fight like if we were kings. Did you want to say anything more about Metal Gear, or are you ready to move on? Mm, I think I am good with Metal Gear. All right, so we're going to... I'm going to have Ed on again sometime to talk about Nier, because I got some questions for him, too, whenever whenever we do our discussion on that. So we're, I think we're going to skip now to talk about Persona, which we both love very dearly. And I know I've already heard you on your podcast talk with Addy about how you discovered persona Four golden which i believe was your first one on vita because i remember you were saying about how you played it in college and how it just made you feel like because i feel the exact same way when i was listening i was like yes because these people felt like your real friends while you were there but did you want to say a little bit about how you discovered it with persona and what made it stand out to you hell i'll just go ahead and repeat it since even though you know other people might not yeah they might want to hear yeah, I'll try and sum it up because I already spent way too long on Metal Gear. Uh, of course, in the early 2010s, 2012, 13, 14, at that point, I had started listening to Podcast Beyond with uh, one Colin Moriarty. And of course, he and his co-host, they were banging the drums super hard on the PlayStation Vita. And I personally loved the PSP, so I told myself, all right, I trust these guys, I'll do it. I got a Vita in 2014. It was $170, which is insane when you think about the price. It's still holding steady now. <laughs> um, I had gotten that, and they were talking about Persona 4 Golden. And I was thinking, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. That looks really anime. I don't know if I want to try that. But I remember that I was driving in a Shipley's drive through it was me and my wife and, well, now wife, uh, girlfriend then. And I told her, I was like, yeah, I have this Vita. There was a game I was thinking about called Persona 4 Golden. 
and her eyes lit up. They're like, what? Persona? Oh my god, get it, get it, get it. And I was like, wait, how the <laughs> hell do you know about this? I don't know about this. You don't play video games. And then she's like, no, no, no. My older brother and older sister have played Persona. And she basically echoed back to me what I had with Metal Gear. She would be like, oh, yeah, I would just walk into the room when they're playing Persona and I would sit down and just watch. And I was like, oh, oh. From there, I went to Fry's Electronics, which, by the way, God, Fry's Electronics died and uh, it just makes me sad every time. I remember them. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> they're going to be lost to time shortly. So, oh, oh, the funny thing is that a lot of times whenever I buy my games, I keep the receipt and I put it inside the box. I'm pretty sure my Persona 4 Golden uh, box still has a receipt in it. Nice. Yeah. So That's a good prize. idea. I, sh- I should do that. I never even thought of that. So yeah. Oh, it's idea. wonderful. If you actually go to a store and they give you a paper receipt, just put it in there. Like, for example, I just like putting stuff inside cases where it makes sense for me so for example i played so much of destiny one that i think of that time fondly and that was my multiplayer game from like 2014 to like 2016 and i finally thought okay you know what my time with destiny is good i don't think this is going to be one of my favorite games that i need to have in my collection so i gave it away or sold it i don't remember it's just not in my collection now but I kept the slip inserts and receipt with it. And I remember that I told myself the next multiplayer game that I'm really hardcore into, the Destiny slip's going to go in that case. And that next game was Rainbow Six Siege. So Siege, my copy of Siege, has all the slip inserts from Destiny in there because it's just something that I keep as a memory. And that is something that I do with all my cases. Like, for example, we mentioned Addy earlier, my co-host, right? So he lives in Canada, I live in Texas, and I send him stuff that he can't find in Canada. And one of the games that I sent him was 13 Sentinels. And I kept the receipt for 13 Sentinels in my 13 Sentinels case, because I just like being able to still keep those memories within the related games. So anytime that I open it, I look at it and I just go, oh yeah, I remember, I did that. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I should. It's a little late now, especially since <laughs> physical's starting to disappear. But yeah, exactly. I'm especially, my... yeah, especially since you don't have instruction books in them anymore. Because I used to always like that. So yeah, I'm just giving a whole bunch more value to that. But so Persona for Golden, I remember playing it, and I remember being appalled by the intro. I remember hearing. Like, I just remember hearing that and thinking, I already hate this. This is not what I want to be playing. But you know what? I trust the podcast beyond, boys. Fine. I'll keep playing. And the fact that it's handheld, too, it just means that it was easier for me to go, even though I don't like it, screw it. What else am I going to do? Am I going to do homework? (laughs) No. So I just kept playing Persona 4 Golden, and eventually... I started getting into the gameplay. I started getting into the characters. I started getting into the music. I started getting into the point where I didn't skip the intro because I was like, this music is the game. This music just is the game. I don't remember where it was that I had mentioned it, but someone was talking about the soundtrack for Persona 4 Golden versus uh, Persona 5. And someone was like, oh, Persona 4, that's just nostalgic. And I realized that Persona 4's soundtrack specifically from the offset is just nostalgia. 
Like, even if you don't have the nostalgic feeling to it, the music is supposed to invoke the nostalgia in you. So by the time that I finally started caring about the game, that's when the intro clicked because the intro is supposed to feel kind of like that little poppy feeling. Like, if you hear this song, this is supposed to be a song that takes you to a place in time. And whenever I hear that song, it takes me back to Inaba. And not only just the intro song, but the main menu song is something that when you hear, you just think of those days that you spent with friends. Except it wasn't real life and flesh and blood friends. It was instead the characters in Persona 4 Golden. And there's something about that soundtrack that is just so special that it's hard to separate. And with all of this, when it comes to Persona 4 Golden... I just kept playing it to the point where anytime that people tried to talk to me in college, I would think, I don't like you that much because <laughs> you're not Yosuke, you're not Chie, you're not Yukiko. Like, these are people that are so well-defined as characters that you person who I have just met, I don't want to invest in you. Are we really going to be friends? Are you really going to talk to me once we're done with this project? No, I don't think so. So Persona 4 Golden was basically my replacement for friends because I didn't want friends. I already had them. They felt like family even by the end. And, and that, that's one of the, the games that I legit was tearing up at the end. And it was, and yeah, I was sad because actually it wasn't even the story. It was just I was sad that I was leaving these characters. Yeah. Like, because I feel like Royal definitely has a way better story than Golden. But Golden for me is it's about the characters. It's about the interactions and how they grow into a family. And they feel like even with each other, a family, they're not just use friends. They're every, they're friends with each other. For me, if we're going to go into that direction of four versus five, I have to go Royal over golden because I can't forget that they're video games and the amount of streamlining that persona five Royal does is just so incredible to me that the gameplay itself is almost just as good as everything else that it would be impossible for me to say that I like golden more, but if you put all the mechanics in Royal into golden golden would tower over Royal for me. Oh, I agree with you. Royal is definitely the better game. It's the only thing I like better in Golden. I like the characters better and the music better. Everything else I give to Royal, pretty much. For me, what it is with Royal is that Royal feels too much like a societal story. And it's like, oh man, Japan, It's the place is rotting all these people. They're not being their true selves. We need to fix society. Like, that feels way too spanning that I feel like the characters kind of get lost a little bit. They're still good characters, yes, but they don't have the love and focus that Persona 4 Golden had, which is just, hey, the people that your friends know are going to be in trouble. So at that point, it becomes a direct character reason to care about because, okay, I am you. You, why you, not you. (laughs) I am the main character, Persona 4 Golden. I have a friend. I have Chie. Oh, Chie, you're telling me that your friend Yukiko is in trouble. I don't know Yukiko that much yet, but I care about you, so let's go help out Yukiko. Like, that's how it works. It is very good motivation with the game itself to make you want to play. 
And Persona 4, Col uh, Persona 4 Golden did that, but Persona 5 Royal, I think for the most part, it feels like it is very societal. And the fact that they are introducing a new character, you kind of have to care about the new character it's themselves before you kind of get invested into the trials and tribulations that they're doing. They do it well, yes, but then after that, it doesn't seem like the characters have a a good reason to pop up after their arc i guess you can say whereas persona 4 golden feels like the characters that you have even if they don't really evolve beyond that point they still feel like you get to see them grow a little bit because you see them interacting with different people so you start seeing different shades of who they are whereas opposed to persona 5 royal it feels like that character that you got done with with their moment in their palace they stay that same character and you don't really see that different shade of them too often whenever they're interacting with other characters. Right. Because yeah, the group dynamic has, like you were saying in four golden, they're all friends. You're doing it. I think it's too, because they have way more social events in golden, which they added mm -hmm. a couple on Royal, but they still didn't feel the same because like you said, you get some character development from their actual arc in the story. But then after that, all their development is through, the confidants with joker so really he's the only one seeing this not anybody else mm -hmm. they because in the main story even after you go through that with them they're pretty much the same yeah they might have changed a, a wee little bit but the one thing royal does do better with the side confidants that aren't your main party they definitely flesh out those characters more because honestly in golden i don't remember a whole lot of who, who they even were or what they even did through their arc i feel like it de they definitely did better with Royal, especially with adding perks to when you hang out with them. Where Golden, you didn't get that. I'm not going to lie. I don't remember a single character from Persona 4 Golden. And if you also asked me to name a character that was a side character in Persona 5 Royal, I would remember the ones that I'm annoyed with the most. Shinji? I don't even know who that is. I'm assuming that that is... The, the the kid that yes. oh no no oh no no oh no okay i just realized who shinji is the the kid that is always at the arcade okay yeah that's one of them i was getting him confused with um uh, me mishima oh mishima yeah yeah like i remember that i remember the drunk reporter who by the time that i got to the end and i finished most of my social confidants it's like you want to hang out with her I'm like no i think i'm just gonna go to sleep you know what? Maybe his name isn't Shinji. That doesn't sound right. Let me look this up real quick. You got me. You got Evangelion on the brain. Oh, Shinya. That's what it is. I was close. <laughs> you went, I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, he's Shinji now. Yeah, we can. I mean, it's the same thing. But yeah, Mishima, I, I really didn't like at all. EY was great. I liked him. And he was the, the gun dealer. I didn't I... like the, the politician somewhat, but... The politician, the fact that I had to work a job, I was like, yeah, I'm never going to know your story. <laughs> <laughs> EY, on the other hand, I remember him and I'm like, yeah, you had to find enough story. I don't feel like I missed anything if I didn't hang around with you. Like, he definitely felt like, oh, well, Kawakami isn't anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? So what Fine. do you... So what do you want to see from, from the next persona? Where do you want him to go? Because they kind of went... You know, they did the Persona 3 was kind of 
I guess a blending of both four and five as far as environment, because then for four, they went to the small rural town and then five, they went to straight up Tokyo. So where do you, what do you think they're going to do next for six? Okay. Uh, instead of what I think they're going to do next, because trust me, I can tell you right now, I can't think of what P team would want to do for me. I'll answer what I would want to see. Personally, I want them to be able to choose a location that allows you to be close-knit. So even though people have already said like, oh, what if it's a college thing or something like that? Yeah, I actually can get around the idea of a college because I like the idea that if you have people that are all in the same dorm, that is close enough space that you can have these characters really play around and interact with each other. From there, you can make whatever the weird thing is that gets them into the Persona world, whatever you want. I mean, you can tell me that it's a killer calculator. I don't care. Like, if yeah. you can have the characters and do all that, I'm, I'm okay with it. I just really like the way that they handle characters interacting with each other. And I also just really like the gameplay. Like, something about the gameplay speaks to me because there are so many games where if it's turn-based... I'm just going to handle it like Pokemon. You're telling me that this is a debuff or a reap? I don't care. I want to be able to kill that thing as quickly as possible. There's no strategy here. But Persona, I remember that playing Persona 4 Golden and Persona 5. Not Royal, I'll explain. Persona 5 and Persona 4 Golden, I remember getting to a certain point where there was a boss who just kept killing me. I was like, fuck, why am I not doing this right? And then I realized, wait a minute, they do have the debuffs. Is the game actually forcing me to do them? And I did it and I realized, oh my God, this game actually requires me to play strategically. Yes, I will absolutely do that. Yes, you're going to actually incentivize me to do it. And I did. And from that point on, Persona 4 Golden, I would play strategically. I would buff. I would debuff. And I was like, this is exactly what you're this is exactly what you should do in a video game where if you have a mechanic, you need to make it useful because if not, then what is the point of it even being there? So Persona 5, I ended up hitting that with the boss that everyone hates, Okumura. And yeah. I legitimately really like it in Persona 5 base because I was playing it on normal. By the time that I got to Okumura, I had already learned about the buffs and debuffs. The game had already forced me to start using them. So by the time that I got there, I didn't even think about it because that was already second nature of me to, oh, how many enemies? Crap, there's a couple more health ones. Okay, let's buff us up. Let's debuff them and let's start attacking. So the game for at least both of those games, they made it very well designed that you needed to interact with not just offensive attacks, but the defensive attacks. Persona 5 Royal was a different story because so of course my wife loves Persona and I bought Royal day one full fucking price the whole special edition and all that but I had no intentions of playing it immediately because Persona 5 was still recent enough that I was like I don't think I'm ready to play it but it was at my wife's insistence who was like I really want to see I want to really want to see I was like okay fine I will force myself to play through it and for the most part, it was a slog because I was like, I don't miss this game. I don't miss this game at this point for me to re be replaying it this soon. So most of Royal was me just kind of sleepwalking and letting her handle it. I, By the way, I was the monkey holding controller. She was the one who was choosing everything. So that's <laughs> yeah. So I was sleepwalking for the most part until I got to Royal and 
literally, if you put a graph of my interest of Persona 5 base and a graph of Persona 5 Royal, Persona 5 would just be like just continuously increasing, increasing, increasing. And then if you took a chart of Persona 5 Royal, it would be just zero, 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 zero. And then as soon as we get to the Royal stuff, it would jump up and just match whatever the interest I already had in base. Like it felt like I didn't miss a beat whatsoever when it came to my interest in the Royal part. And at that point, I was like, man, this is really good. <laughs> I put it on very easy and just let the gameplay itself. Uh, it might be too late. So at that point, the gameplay wasn't doing too much for me for Royal because, well, I didn't want to be. Yeah, it's interesting because definitely compared to some of the other RPGs, like because uh, I've been playing Dragon Quest Eight recently, you have to really buff yourself for that, too. And mm -hmm. of course, I got to bring up trails here, but trails will wreck you with status effects so i kind of wish persona would do that more because there will be fights in trails where you just start out and you are crippled from the get-go because status effects are so brutal in that hmm. but i'm curious because i'm gonna probably go back and play golden here soon for the fourth time because <laughs> oh i remember like you said that royal is pretty easy compared to the other ones i'm thinking golden was pretty challenging if I remember right. And I want to go back and play three at some point, but I'm fruitlessly holding my breath that they're eventually going to make a remake or at least a port to something other than the, the PSP version. So, but, and then also back to your point about persona six, what you wanted with the college life. I would love that. But my thing is, do you ever remember a game in Japan centered in college? I mean, no, because like you've said before, your Japan, sorry, your life in Japan is over after high school. Right. I will give them credit for one thing, though. They are starting to improve with the older characters when it comes to JRPGs. I'm hoping they'll do it with Persona, but I wouldn't hold my breath because, of course, we had Yakuza Like a Dragon where you had the protagonist as middle-aged people, which was hilarious. And even the latest Trails game, which just got announced for this year, that will come over here in like three years if we're lucky. Mm -hmm. It is a, a like a 28-year-old, I think, main character, which is unusual because they usually like those 16 to 18-year-olds at the oldest. So uh, maybe yeah. we'll get it. I, I would love that. There, I, Even an adult persona would be interesting, but I have no idea how they would do the class schedule stuff because at least with college, you'd have classes still. I'm sorry. I just imagined a an older aged adult persona and it's just like oh no you need to find paper clips go up <laughs> to the second floor oh there's a social link with your boss try to negotiate a, a raise that's that's level nine right there if you get the raise you get to level 10 yeah and then they need to bring back the reverse social links because you remember in the older like persona four yeah. i think they had it in golden you could have reverse ones where stuff goes horribly wrong so that would be really great in the adult world like oh no you're gonna get fired because you picked option b instead of c so you didn't compliment phyllis's daughter oh no that's <laughs> you're capped at seven now there's a lot right. of different directions that they can go and i would love to see p team be creative because i can tell you right now the last time that they were okay there is creativity in Persona, but the last time that they just kind of let their hair down and were like, let whatever idea you want to go for, they made Catherine, and Catherine is phenomenal. Right. 
Yeah, that and I don't. I wonder. Do you know how well Catherine sold originally? Originally, I'm, uh, I'm not too sure. That's the thing. Of course, the only thing that I know around that time is Podcast Beyond, and right. they just talked about it so much about it. I think probably didn't sell. Okay. I think it probably sold well, considering that Atlas is very good about understanding how many copies they should sell for a video game, if that makes sense. That's true, yeah. So, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, I don't know how, because even Persona 5, I don't know what the total sales are now, but I remember the original one, they said, I think it sold 3.2 million, and they were pretty happy with that, where Square Enix would be like, this is a failure. You want to know... What's the thing that always horrifies me about that? That near Automata is bigger than both Persona 5s. That is crazy. Like, that doesn't sound right. And I think the most, I think the reason for that is, is that near Automata, for the most part, it, it had, I think, more than 5 million sales. Those 5 million sales out there, if people, you know, actually complete it, let's just be kind and say that every one of those copies was a completion instead of me over here who bought 16 copies. All right. So <laughs> going on from that, let's just assume that each one of those was a person who beat the game. That is probably a higher percentage of people who beat Automata than there are people who beat Persona 5 base or Royal, because we have to acknowledge that there are so many people who are quotation quotation persona 5 fans who probably only know about joker from either smash or because they were watching a streamer play a hundred percent yes so persona always feels like it's bigger because there are more people who are aware of it and care about it even if they haven't necessarily played it which by the way those people i listen i know that people are like oh gatekeeping look you really can't call yourself a fan if you just watched Persona. Like, the whole point is that you are the main character. Like, to watch someone else, that just means that you watch someone else's journey in Persona. You can like Persona. I don't think you can be a fan, though. Yeah, I don't get it. Because I know that people talk about how annoying Persona fans can be, and Trails fans can be really annoying, too. But the thing is... A lot of that, and I still remember the days when people would get mad when you jumped on a Persona 3. They're like, oh, yeah, nice of you to hop in now. We've had two other entries. Where were you guys at when we were Shin Megami Tensei Persona, which I guess it still was up through 4. But still, it's like, you're always going to have that, it seems like. For me, what does make me happy is that near fans aren't annoying because we're all depressed. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah, you don't hear... I mean, there are people that say play Automata, but I feel like it's not to the same level as Persona and Trails, especially because, well, for one thing, Nier is is a spinoff of Drakengard, so it's got very few games under its belt yet, so it's still a great time to jump in, too, and it's relatively new, where both Persona and Trails have been around for longer than you think. Like, I still get told sometimes how long these were around, and I'm like, oh, that's right, these are pretty old franchises actually the near fandom is so fun because everyone just understands that there are some games that are really important that are also bad like drekengard 1 is a bad game drekengard 2 is completely disregarded by the entire fan base and it makes me so happy when i remember that it got discarded and it got published by ubisoft so that's pretty like double win for me 
So <laughs> yes. then Drakengard 3 is hilarious because everyone's like, yeah, man, it's so important. Please don't play it, all right? It runs at like 10 frames a second. And dude, being in the near fan base is so hilarious because there are so many people who are just like, yeah, those games are important. They also suck. Don't play them. <laughs> Well, even um, Yoko Taro himself with his latest with Replicant, he's like, you know, everybody thinks, oh, Automata sold so much, so this is such a great game. This is a fluke. My games don't sell that good. They aren't that good. <laughs> We're going to be throwing all these game cases as Frisbees in the warehouse because they're not going to sell as much as they think they're going to sell. It's like, what director is going to say that about his game? Dude, Yoko Taro is like just my spirit animal with how I handle my podcast where I just talk so much shit about it. Like, I really do. Like, I think I put in good work in the editing. Maybe question about what I say, right? That's the only part where I'm like, eh, you know, could probably be better. My intonation? Pretty good. But the editing and intonation are the only things I could say. After that, I'm just like, you, you don't really need to fucking listen to this. And Yoko Taro being like, yeah, like Automata. I guess you guys like that one. If you play Replicant, you might not like that one, you know? The only thing that's the same between them is the name. That's it. I hope you enjoy it. I'd like to buy more stuff. What a gem. Dude, Yoko Taro is just so great. And I think that he himself, if people know about him, he usually keeps the fan base in check because you kind of have to ask yourself, what would Yoko do? And it's like, would you really be out there like, this is the greatest game ever? No, you'd probably be like, dude, I love this thing. I don't know about you, though. <laughs> as long as he has his money to get his sake, that's all that matters. Look, 15 copies so that man can stay drunk and make whatever next game he wants. You want to make a mobile game? Go ahead, man. You made Automata. You can do whatever the fuck you want, all right? All right, Ed. Well, it's it's over the two-hour mark now, so I think we'll start wrapping it up now in traditional weebs of the corn tradition i'm going to have you pick a waifu now it can be for this week if you want or just a waifu you want to shout out but i know okay i, I kind of figured that's where we were going she actually i don't know if you've listened to the I episode yet okay yeah, she did. got a nice long shout out from justin but yes kaine is a great pick from near replicant of course my car is named kaine okay well not my car the wife that <laughs> The car that I had gotten my wife, we named it Kaine. And the funny thing is that the keychain that I have for that car, it has the Beast Lord sword that is in both, uh, well, in Gestalt, Replicant, Replicant V-Boy Point 2, and Automata. Like, the sword that's in all four of those games is one of my keychains, and the other keychain is the Yorha logo. So, like, <laughs> the, trust me, it would be impossible if I didn't choose her hell you know what screw it i'm just going to cheat even more all right it's kaine it is eva in metal gear solid 3 and the boss in metal gear solid 3 okay i'm going three i'm going heron i thought you might even throw a2 in the mix there Mm, okay Mm, mm, no because it's kind of i yeah we'll save it but no 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 no, trust me i (laughs) a2 look look we'll save it for whenever you have me on for near because there are things that it will be hard to explain without seeming like I'm contradicting myself. So, because, look, when it comes to A2 versus 2B, there are going to be things that apply to A2 that you'd be like, well, what about 2B? Trust me, we don't have time to get into that. <laughs> also, this what, when you talked about the Beast Sword, that randomly reminded me, in Automata, when I found the Cypress Stick, 
you know, which was a represent or a callback to Dragon Quest. I didn't equip unequip that. I used that the entire game randomly. <laughs> I don't know uh, why it made me think of that, but I think for me, one of the weapons that I used all the time in Automata was A2 sword that she had, and then the other one I think was the engine sword from Final Fantasy 15. Was that DLC? No, it was in the game. I don't. Remember. Maybe I didn't get that. Then I don't. It's been. I need to play Automata again. Actually, I'm probably gonna play it again before we do the topic because playing. I, I I was scared to play it. I think I told you before. I'm like I'm scared because I'm like I loved it so much the first time. I'm almost scared to play it again. But playing mm-hmm. Replicant, I'm like, man, I want to play Automata again because I want to see what all ties in. Especially going back a second playthrough because I know how important that is now that the, you have context. Automata is wonderful as a sequel because you have no idea it's a sequel until you know the previous game and you look and you're like, wait a minute, that was a callback? I had what? All right. And with that, I think we're going to come to a close. So thank you for joining me, Ed. Where can people find you? I know we talked about your podcast a little bit, but shout it out again for the people. Jesus, if you actually still want to find me after all this, God bless you. All right, because I know that I won't. Uh, there is a podcast that I do, Passive Pixels, a media catch-up podcast. If you really do want to listen to me, if for some reason my opinions are appealing to you, just know that it's there, it's YouTube, Spotify, I'm pretty sure I post up links somewhere, that's the thing, I think I have it on Twitter, I think my account is edcastly13, I'm just never on Twitter, it's a fucking cesspool, but that is what I do, one day I will just completely cancel it and disappear off the face of the earth. It was all to do the, the near magna opus, right? <laughs> it is just... Okay, so the reasoning behind the creation of Passive Pixels is like two different things. One, it's because I did want to get good at podcasting. So by the time that Sacred Symbols got to do the near spoiler cast, I wasn't just going to be a stambly, uh, stammering mess by the time that I got on there, which I didn't. Rip. I'm, I'm not i'm not sad about it no absolutely not no i'm not sad about it <laughs> um the other thing was that i tried to make a list of all the movies and video games and shows that i watched back in 2019 and that lasted maybe a month and after that i forgot so i told myself i do want to make that list but i need to put an albatross over me to keep me in line to write down everything so i realized that if i had a podcast where I just talk about everything that I've watched and played over the last two weeks, that would incentivize me to make sure that I have things written down. So by the time that I'm recording, I'm like, oh, yeah, what did I watch? Um, Oh, yeah, it was that, I guess. So pretty much it's just these two reasons. And the other thing is, is that I also am ready to leave at the moment that I'm no longer finding value in it. <laughs> Well, like I told you before, Ed, we were planning on, we're going to probably do a near replicant and automata episode on it. And I know it's not sacred symbols, but I'm planning to have you on it. So straw hat. It does not matter to me what the name is. I just like talking near. I understand. That's that's (laughs) me with trails. So, all right. And with that, thank you guys for listening. And we will have another guest on hopefully next time if people keep agreeing to do this. So with that, Sayonara, Mina-san.